We are kids of the king. I love how uh, Pete Denham and the band were just singing that. You are a good, good father. That's who you are. And we're going to talk about today how our identity is that we are kids of the king. So if you have your Bible, would you please turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 for our text today. Can we give a huge round of applause to beat Pete Denham and his amazing band? We love you guys. And th- can we also thank all of your youth pastors and all the people who volunteered to make this camp happy? Can we give them a big round of applause? And we got to give a huge round of applause once more to Aaron Salvato for making this happen. We love you, Aaron. And let's say a word of prayer and then we, my friends, shall dive in. Lord, I pray that as we study Galatians 4, 6 to talk about our identity as being kids of the king, I pray that you would speak very intimately to each person here this morning. I thank you for these high schoolers. I thank you for their counselors. I thank you that we get to meet with you today. And I pray that you would just like enter into the deepest recesses of our souls and plant the seed of the scripture so that it germinates into 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. We pray that this would transmogrify our life, change our destiny, help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So I'm so glad I get to hang out with you. This is actually my last session and then I have to fly back home to teach tomorrow morning, but um, I've just had so much fun hanging out with you guys so far. And I'm really excited to share with you a message from Galatians chapter four, verse six. Before we get into our text, Um, How many of you guys have heard of Johnny Cash? Do you guys know Johnny Cash? What did he do? Besides dying, what did he do? (laughs) He was a country singer. Remember, he uh, wrote this famous country song called Walk the Line. And he actually tag-teamed with a guy Pete was talking about yesterday, Billy Graham. And sometimes they would go do evangelistic crusades and events together. Johnny Cash, famous country singer. How many of you guys have ever heard of Bob Hope? Has anybody heard of Bob Hope? Some of you have heard of Bob Hope. Bob Hope is is a very famous TV personality. He was a very well-known comedian back in the day. And then how many of you have heard of Stephen Jobs? Who's heard of Stephen Jobs here? Steve Jobs, yes, he made your iPhone. Did you know that all of these guys were actually contemporaries and they lived at the same time and they all died recently? They all died within the last 20 years. 20 years ago, we had Johnny Cash, Bob Hope, and Steve Jobs. Now we have no cash. (laughs) No hope and no jobs. Lord, we pray that Kevin Bacon would not die. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you feel hopeless because you're like Ben... I'm strapped for cash. My parents lost their job. I have no hope, and I didn't even get my bacon this morning for breakfast. And I feel hopeless. Listen to this. When you walk with God, there is always hope. Did you know that the reason the Bible was written was to give you hope? That is its teleologic design. It was written with the express purpose of giving you hope. That's Pauline theology. Romans 15 verse 4 says this. Now these things that were written were written for our learning that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
That's what Paul wrote. These scriptures were written to give you hope. I love nine verses later, Paul says my favorite verse in the New Testament. Now may the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in a hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul wrote. So when people ask me what God I worship, I love to tell them, I just worship the God of hope, baby. How cool is that? That you, you worship the God of hope. You get to be filled with Jesus' joy. He was anointed with the oil of gladness above all his fellows. You get to be filled with holy happiness. Psalm says, happy are those people whose God is the Lord, whose help is found in the God of Jacob who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. You get to be filled with sacred optimism. John said, these things I've written to you that your joy might be full. There is always hope when you walk with God because our leader is Jesus Christ who the Bible says is our King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's Emmanuel and Messiah. He's the Prince of Peace, the Son of God, the bread of life, the light of the world, the way, the truth, the life, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the door for his sheep, and the shepherd who lays down his life for his lambs, the vine who gives fruit to his branches, and the word of God made flesh, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the resurrection and the life, the Prince of the Kings of the earth, the Amen, the root of David, the man child, the beginning of God's creation, he who holds the bright and morning star. He who wields the double-edged sword, the captain of our salvation, the image of the invisible God, and the anchor of hope. Would somebody please say church? That's who Jesus is. And when you watch his lifestyle, how can you not have hope? One of my favorite titles for Jesus is found in Colossians 1.15. This gives me so much hope. Colossians 1 verse 15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, um, have any of you ever heard the expression, that kid is in the spitting image of his dad. Have you ever heard that phrase? That, that kid's in the spitting image of his dad. Jesus, listen, this is significant for our study in a moment. Um, whenever he prayed, he always called God Father, specifically in Aramaic. That was the language Jesus spoke. It would have sounded out of his lips, Abba. Every time he prayed, he used the word Abba. Every single time he prayed, he used Father, Abba. The only time Jesus didn't call God Father in prayer was when he was on the cross, when he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. But every time Jesus prayed, he called God Father. So it's interesting that Colossians 1.15 says he is the image of God. What does it mean? He's in the spitting image of his daddy. Hence, Jesus saying in John 14, if you have seen me, you have seen my father. I'm the spitting image of my dad. Everybody wants to know what God looks like. Jesus is saying, look at me. I am the spitting image of my dad. And in Colossians 1.15, when it says he's the image of the invisible God, it gets even cooler. That word in the Greek language in which Paul wrote is the word icon. E-I-K-O-N. Would everybody please say icon? That word icon, in Paul's generation, it meant a portrait. So if I were to paint your portrait, I would call it your icon. But it's also the nearest ancient Greek equivalent to our word for photograph. How cool is that? So you could translate it, Jesus is the photograph of God. What does God look like? He looks like this teacher from Nazareth who loves to play with kids. He looks like this man who forgives prostitutes and says, her act will be remembered forever wherever the gospel is preached as she anointed 
my feet with her hair and oil, as we heard earlier, and perfume. Wow. Jesus says, no man condemns you to the woman caught in adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Jesus says, you're too blessed to be stressed. Blessed are you. God says, I look like that. That's what I look like. Just look at my photograph, my icon, my image. Jesus. Now, I love this. Um, before you had iPhones, if you were to take a photograph, uh, you, would take, you would take the film out of your camera, and the only way you could develop your negatives, the only way you could develop your film, was if you took it to a very specific room. Uh, how many of you know what a, what a dark room is? Okay, it's not the place you sleep at night. A lot of high schoolers, they're like, what's a dark room when I say this? A dark room, what was a dark room for in photography? It would develop pictures. My mom's a photographer, so she would have to turn her film into Walmart, and they would put it in a dark room, and then they would develop these negatives in these photographs. Now, Jesus is the photograph, the icon, the image of God, Colossians 1.15. And when Jesus was crucified from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m., something happened to the sky. Does anybody remember what happened to the sky when Jesus was crucified? It went dark from 12 to 3 because it was there in the dark room of Calvary that the photograph of God developed so we could see the God of hope loves us to death. Come on, man. <laughs> Does that deserve a church or what? Sure. Jesus doesn't say the God of hope loves you this much. He doesn't say he loves you this much. He stretches out his arms on the cross and says, this is how much God loves you. He loves you to death. I think you're to die for. I'm like, who, me? I'm the bride of Christ with a unibrow. My unibrow is not on fleek. And while I'm still a sinner, not surrounded by the beauty of holiness, when I have pink bunny slippers on my feet and a bathrobe on my body and a ho-ho in one hand and a Twix in the other hand and, you know, um, sweet tarts in my mouth and an empty peanut butter jar under my arm and keeping up with the Kardashians is playing in the background. And while I'm still a sinner and an enemy, Romans 5 says, he, he dies for me demonstrating God's love. Wow, that's what God looks like? How awesome is he? And Jesus develops the picture of a God who loves us to death in the dark room of Golgotha. When you don't walk with God, fear is the dark room where negatives are developed. But when you do walk with God, life is like photography. We develop from the negatives. <laughs> Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for the good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Life is like photography. We're made in the image of God. Therefore, we also develop from the negatives because he is a good, good father. That's who he is, and I am loved by him. That's who I am. I'm a kid of the king. If you don't believe me, take a look at Galatians 4.6. And even if you do believe me, take a look at Galatians 4.6. I love this passage. Paul says in Galatians 4.6, by the way, if you are there, would you please say, Abba. Now, I'm not referring to the disco band that your parents might have listened to in the 1970s. This is the word uh, that Paul will use in our text. Let's take a look. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, say it out loud, Abba, Father. I just looked up the word Abba in the dictionary the other day, and the word Abba is the Aramaic word that literally means, does anybody know? Father, but it also means something even more intimate. Daddy. 
That's what it literally means, daddy. We get to call God daddy. We get to call God Abba. This Aramaic term is expressive of an especially close relationship to God. Now, here's the deal. As Christians, for two millennia, we've been calling God Father, like we sing, you're a good, good father. And when we pray, we say, our Father, which art in heaven. We're so used to calling God Father that we forget how subversive, iconoclastic, revolutionary, newfangled, and fresh it was in Paul's day to call God Father. In Paul's generation, nobody thought of God as Father. And if you're there in a Greco-Roman society at a house church in Galatia and you pull this letter out of the mail from Paul the Apostle and you read, start calling God Daddy, you would think Paul was cuckoo for his Cocoa Puffs. You would have thought he had smog in the noggin. You would have thought he was loco in the cabeza, non compos mentis, a bat or two in the belfry. He belonged in the nutty bin. You would have thought Paul was loony. You would have thought he was nuts. Paul, you're crazy. Nobody calls God Daddy. And it's true. They didn't think of God as daddy in Paul's day. In fact, um, the chief deity that the gods worshipped in Paul's day was a god named Zeus. And for you Percy Jackson fans, Zeus was not a very nice daddy. Uh, or a very, He wasn't really a daddy at all. He was kind of a jerk. If you upset Zeus, he would basically hurl lightning bolts at your face. Furthermore, if you were Sisyphus, and you might have learned this in your English lit class, if you were Sisyphus and you upset Zeus, what would he make you do? He'd make you roll a boulder up a hill. And then what would happen to the boulder? It would roll down and then you'd have to roll it back up the hill and it would roll back down and you had to repeat that for the rest of eternity. Then if you're Prometheus and you say, you know what, my fellow featherless bipeds, my fellow human beings, these homo sapiens are very cold and I want to heat them up with some fire. So you go to heaven and you steal fire, the original lightning thief, from Zeus Prometheus stole fire from heaven to warm his fellow humans, and Zeus got so mad that he pinned Prometheus to a rock in the middle of the Adriatic Sea and sent a vulture to eat out his liver. But then Zeus made his liver grow back and sent a vulture the next day to eat out his liver again. And then Zeus made his liver grow back and sent a vulture the following day to eat out his liver again. And Zeus tried to repeat this process for the rest of eternity until Prometheus was rescued. But the point is, is that if Zeus was your dad, or your God, I should say, that would stink. What if you had to pray to that guy? Like, there's this story in Greek mythology of a woman, of a goddess named Aurora. She was the goddess of the dawn, hence like the Aurora Borealis, the northern lights. She was the goddess of the dawn. And she fell in love with a human the human's name was Tythonus. She goes to Zeus. Zeus, would you please grant my mortal lover Tythonus everlasting life? Zeus said, I would happily grant you your prayer. So he gave Tythonus, Aurora's mortal lover, everlasting life. But he didn't give Tythonus everlasting youth. So Tythonus just kept getting older and older and older and older, and more cadaverous, and skeletal, and skinny, and could never die. And Zeus is like, I gave him everlasting life, but I tricked you. I didn't give him everlasting youth. Aren't I an awesome God? I'm a trickster. That would stink if you prayed to Zeus, because when he answered your prayer, it would be a trick. And so if you're part of that 
Greco-Roman mythological religiosity culture, and you are sitting in Galatia, and you read, okay, you no longer worship Zeus, you worship Yahweh, not no way, but Yahweh, and now that you worship Yahweh, you get to call him daddy. You're like, this is amazing. I get to call my, my, my God I worship now, I get to call this God of hope my daddy, my identity is that I'm a kid of the king of the, uh, Psalm 47 says, of all the earth. Ephesians 5.1 says, we are children of God. I get to call him, Galatians 4.6, Abba Daddy. This is bomb.com, LTD, living the dream. This is the best. Even if you were a Jew, you'd be really happy. Because the Jews believed if you saw God, you were going to kick the bucket. In Judges 13.22, Manoah, he was the dad of Samson, was visited by a strange guest. And when he realized who that visitor was, he said, we have seen God and we must surely die. So you believed if you saw God, you were going to die. So whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Greek, whether you're a Roman, you're all happy that you get to call God Father. Okay, that's the history and context behind the text. How does this affect us today knowing that God is our Father? Please turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 8, verse 15, and we're going to put feet to our faith. We're going to put wheels on it. What does it look like when we know our identity with the king is that we're kids of the king? Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Here's how knowing God is Abba will practically affect your life today. Romans 8.15, Paul says, You have not received the spirit of bondage again to, say it out loud, fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, say it out loud, Abba, Father. He employs and deploys the same phrase, you no longer have fear, but rather you have father. Because fear and father are mutually exclusive. When you turn your cares into prayers, your worries into worship, your panic into praise, and your fears into faith in father, you can no longer be afraid of anything. Uh, I've said this before. Does anybody know what the most repeated commandment in the Bible is? Fear not. It's in that book more than 200 times. Fear not. You cannot be afraid any longer when you know the God of hope is your Abba. Here's, here's what I mean by that. What if the God who made Canis Majoris, the largest known star in the universe, the God who made a neutron star, which astronomers tell us is so heavy, it weighs more than all the continents on the earth put together, it weighs more than 200 billion tons, and yet this neutron star that is heavier than all the continents on the earth put together, this neutron star that weighs 200 billion tons, it can fit inside a teaspoon. What if the God who made 6,000 stars which are visible to the naked eye, and there are actually more than 100 billion stars in our galaxy, and billions of other galaxies are known. What if the God who made cute, fat panda bears the God who made Gen 2 penguins that can swim 22 miles per hour. The God who made little blue penguins that are only 16 inches tall, like little dwarf penguins. The God who made emperor penguins that are really chubby, wear tuxedos, and slide on their bellies in Antarctica. What if the God who made flamingos, which can only eat when their head is upside down? 
What if the God who made hummingbirds, which can, which can actually fly in reverse? What if the God who made albatross birds that can fly 25 miles per hour while sleeping? What if the God who made kangaroos who carry their babies in marsupial pouches? The God who made waterfalls and wombats and rhinoceros horns and pig snouts and octopus tendrils and my beautiful wifey and in and out which tastes like hope feels. What if the God who made everything said, who's your daddy? I'm your daddy. It's like, who's your Abba? I'm your Abba. Like, I wouldn't be afraid of anything. The God of the universe is my dad and I can turn my cares into prayers. My identity is that I'm a kid of the king. I no longer have the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of sound mind. I don't have the spirit of fear, but the spirit of father. Abba, father. That's what Paul argues in Romans 8, verse 15. It's kind of like this. Uh, when I was a kid, a lot of bullies wanted to beat me up a lot because I was very annoying and nothing has ever changed. I used to get beat up by this bully on my block all the time. Her name was Christina. And... No, but in all seriousness, I would run away from these bullies because they scared me to death. And I never actually got in a fist fight because I would always just run away. I'd say, no, stop it, don't hit me. But the good news was, three houses away from Jacksonville Elementary, where I went to school, um, was my house. And all I had to do when I was scared of my bullies is run three houses up to my house. And oftentimes, my dad would be in the front yard mowing the lawn. Now, my dad has muscles which I did not inherit. So when he wears his bro tank, it is suns out, guns out to the max. He looked exactly like Chuck Norris in his 30s. It's really weird. If you looked at a picture of him, you're like, that is Chuck Norris's doppelganger. And he looked like Chuck Norris, has these huge guns, is like a bodybuilder pastor, and has this awesome beard. All I can get is a Mexi stash. That's as far as it goes. And, and my dad, like this buff guy, you know, mowing the lawn, and if I'm being chased by my bully, I know he's there. All I have to do is run into his presence, and suddenly, I'm no longer like, stop, don't hurt me. Now, <laughs> you ain't so bad now, are you? I changed my tune. You got a problem with me? You got to go through my dad first. Abba's got my back. I do not have the spirit of fear any longer. I have the spirit of Abba, Father. Because Father's for me, who would try to fight against me? I am more than a conqueror in Greek. I am an over-overcomer through him who loves me. And he's really buff. So are you sure you want to fight me? Because welcome to the gun show. You're going down. <laughs> Here's what's so cool about this. That's my earthly dad. But did you know our Heavenly Father is even buffer? Isaiah says, he lifts islands as though they were a little thing. So yes, my dad, like Schwarzenegger, is an iron curler. But Isaiah says, our father is an island curler. He doesn't curl iron, he curls islands as though they were little things. In fact, you don't need a mountain of faith to move a mustard seed. You just need a mustard seed of faith to move a mountain because you have a very buff father. He's so buff that Isaiah doesn't only say he curls islands as though they were little things, but 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth looking for those whose hearts are loyal toward him that he might show himself strong on their behalf. God wants to flex his biceps on your behalf. And somebody please say church. church. That's how strong your father is. He's the 
island curler. So what kind of life would you live if fear wasn't a factor, if impossible seemed more like a dare instead of a declaration, if you let all your reasons not to fear outnumber your reasons not to try, if you knew that it is not the power of darkness that is to be feared, it is fear that gives power to the darkness, you would stand at the gates of hell and redirect traffic. Others would be going through the valleys of the shadow of death and you would lead them to green pastures and still waters. You would lead them to the good shepherd and you would fight a good fight, wage a good warfare and go hunt some demons as you do a dent in the kingdom of darkness and put to flight the empire of evil. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. So you get to take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith, which can quench every fiery dart of the wicked one, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you know you're going to win, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. I'm just saying. And then you can trash talk your spiritual foe. Trash talk is very biblical. I can trash talk my bully because I know that <laughs> my father's fighting for me. So too, that's why Bible characters would trash talk. I love, this is my favorite trash talking in the Bible. In 1 Samuel 17, David's fighting, some people say he was nine foot six, Goliath. So here's this little redhead shepherd boy, cheese-carrying dairy man from Bethlehem who just brought his brother's dairy products. And then he sees this huge giant and he goes up to Goliath and he says, and I quote, you are an uncircumcised Philistine. It's just like ancient trash talk. <laughs> and he doesn't stop. He's like, in the name of the Lord, I will chop off your head and I'll feed your body to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. You come at me with a sword, a javelin, and a spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, whom you have defied. The battle is not mine, but the battle is the Lord's. And then it says that he ran toward Goliath. He didn't just face his fears, he chased his fears. Because he knew the island curler Abba, God of hope, was fighting his battle. God's fighting your battle, so you can trash talk your fears, man. But listen, if you're not walking with God, you're going to be scared of everything. I know I am. I'm scared of everything when I'm not praying. Like, I'll be eating bacon, and I'm like, oh, no, God, there is a hair in my food. God's like, Ben, you are eating bacon. There is a pig in your food. <laughs> and that's what you're worried about right now? But knowing that God is your father, man. Friends, you have all of father's promises in your account. God is for you. Abba is for you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was for you in the past. He's going to be for you in the future because he's for you, Paul argues. Nobody can be against you. So, you get to go through life with all the promises of God supporting your identity as a kid of the king. When the enemy makes you fear, you just get to say, well... Peter says that all the promises of God are great and precious. And Paul says all the promises of God are yes and amen. Promises like, what the enemy means for evil, the Lord means for good. I would have despaired, but I believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. For those who wait on the Lord, they'll renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be 
dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He turns my sorrow into joy, my mourning into dancing, gives me the garments of praise in exchange for the spirit of heaviness, gives me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. If I sow in tears, I will reap in joy. Weeping does endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And as I meditate day and night on his law, I'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in my season so that my leaf will not wither and whatever I do shall prosper. Psalm 20, may the Lord grant you your heart's desire. Psalm 21, two, you have granted me my heart's desire. Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Psalm 145, 19, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. For the Lord your God is a sun and shield. He will give grace and glory glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord has appeared to me of old saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. Zechariah 9, 12, turn ye to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a few future and a hope. His banner over me was love. The path of the just is like the shining sun, shining ever brighter into the perfect day. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who set themselves against me on all sides. Even if my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And his spirit testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we will also so be glorified together, for I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth nor any other created thing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because of the love of God which is spread abroad in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. So count all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials and temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith produces perseverance. Stand firm in the Lord, beloved. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Brethren, whatever things are true, noble, lovely, just, pure, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. For whether you're hungry or full, suffering or abounding, you can be content in all things, for I can do all things through him who strengthens me. My God shall supply all my needs according to the riches of glory by Christ Jesus. He has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. So why would I be afraid or hopeless? Are you picking up what I'm throwing down? And those aren't any of my opinions. That's just straight from the Bible. Those are your promises. Can somebody please say church? church. All of those promises, those great and precious promises are yes and amen. 
said, but Ben, whenever I pray, God doesn't listen to me. Well, you know that silent and listen are spelled with the same letters, right? If you just jumble around the words in silent, you get the word listen. And oftentimes, God's ear is in listen mode. This is the confidence, John says, that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. The God of hope is your daddy, and daddy's listening to you. Your identity is your kid of the king. He's listening. The psalmist said, he brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, for he heard my cry. He, he hears. He's tapped into souls like the FBI is tapped into phones. He's listening. I don't know. Most of the time when I email people, they don't email me back. Well, that might be true. But God will always answer your knee mail. Knee mail. Are you mowing what I'm growing? But anyways. I'm just going to wish upon a star that things get better. Why would you wish upon a star when you can talk to the God who created it? Oh, but Ben, I'm a Pythes and my star sign bodes ill. Bad things are ahead. Let's knock it off with the astrology. Amos says, seek him who made the seven stars. Why would you fear your star sign when you can talk to the creator of the stars themselves? Amos says, seek him who made the seven stars and Orion. But Ben, I just feel like he's the godfather. And if I bless you, you're too blessed to be stressed, my friend. He's the, he's the godfather. And if I break his deal and break his covenant, he's going to gun me down. That's godfather theology. I'm not talking about the godfather. I'm talking about Father God. I love that. That just made me happy. <laughs> oh. He's, the, he's Father God, man. That's who he is. Oh, no, Ben. You don't know. You don't know. He couldn't be the father of hope in my life. I can't be a kid of the king. I'm like that prodigal son who wasted all my money on booze and babes and I ended up in a pigsty. Did you know the one time you see Abba in a hurry in the Bible is in Luke 15. The only time you see father running is when he's running to hug the prodigal son. To put the ring on his finger to give him the fatted calf like the Ruth's Chris Steakhouse with extra A1 barbecue sauce putting a ring on his finger, purple royal majesty robe on his back. The father runs out to meet you when you fail. Because it really gives me hope that like my favorite Bible characters also failed a lot, but, but the God of hope didn't disown them. He, he still said, you're my kids. Like I love James and John. They failed all the time. They were called sons of thunder because they like to call lightning down on heaven on their enemies. And the sons of thunder said, God, can we call down lightning like Elijah and burn a Samaritan village for not giving Jesus hospitality? And Jesus is like, you don't know what manner you're of. I didn't come to destroy, I came to save. And then I love Peter. He's like, he's like uh, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, I now call you Peter, which means rock, Dwayne Johnson, Rocky Balboa, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I give you the keys of the kingdom. So whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then right after that, Peter, it says, Peter rebuked Jesus. Never a good idea to rebuke Jesus. He rebuked Jesus and Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. If there's something you don't want to hear from Jesus, that's got to be pretty high on the list. 
How was your day at work, honey? I don't know. My boss called me Lucifer. Get behind me, Satan. If I were Jesus, I would say, give me back the keys. Peter was probably a teenager, some scholars suggest. It's like, Peter, you're a teenager. I gave you the keys too early. You've gotten one too many accidents. You've wrecked the keys of the kingdom. Give me back the keys. But that's not what he did. For the three times Peter denied Jesus when a little girl peer pressured him. In John 21, Jesus gave him three chances to tell him how much he loved him to make up for the three times he denied him. And then you see Nathaniel. Nathaniel's hilarious. He was a racist xenophobe. When he was um, asked to follow Jesus, Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Jesus is like uh, the son of God. But he still called him a son of Israel in whom there is no guile. And then, I love this one, Philip. Philip, my goodness, Philip. He said, oh, show us the Father and it will suffice. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, how long must I be with you, Philip? That would stink if Jesus said that to you. Like, how long must I be with you? Just looking at his watch like this is getting really old. How long must I be with you, Philip? And then there's Thomas. Jesus raises from the dead. In the story, Thomas doesn't believe. He says, not unless I touch the holes in his hand and the hold in his side will I believe that he rose from the dead. That would be so annoying, man, if you just rose from the dead and your friends don't believe it. Like, God, oh, that was kind of the big trick. There's nothing left in the hat, nothing left in the truck. I don't got any other trick. This was kind of the big moment. He's like, ah, no, I don't buy it. Oh, Judas? Have you ever heard the phrase kiss of death? That comes from Judas who planted a kiss of death on Jesus, pretended to be his friend and really was just betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, these disciples were losers. And if I were Jesus, I would say, you're on the B team. You're B apostles at best. But Jesus turns B apostles into A apostles. Come on. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And you look at this all through the Bible. Moses had temper problems. Noah got drunk. Elijah was moody. Jonah went in the opposite direction God called him to preach in. Peter denied Jesus three times when a little girl peer pressured him. David had an affair and killed somebody. And Paul tried to kill Christians. I mean, these guys were failures. But it doesn't matter how much we fail because God's love never fails. That's what counts. That's what counts. No golf claps. If we're all going to clap, is this clappable for God? We might fail, but God's love never fails. And I've said this before, just quick refresher. It's true in history, too. Like, Beethoven was told by his music teacher he was a hopeless composer. Abraham Lincoln lost eight elections, couldn't get into law school, failed at business twice, and had a nervous breakdown before he became our 16th president. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. Winston Churchill failed sixth grade and lost every public office role he ran for before he became prime minister at 62. I just love these stories. Dr. Seuss, his first book was rejected by 27 different publishers. Harrison Ford, after his first small movie role, was taken into an executive's office and told he would never make it in the movie business. Tell that to Chewbacca. Vincent Van Gogh sold only one painting in his entire life. No wonder he chopped off his ear. Thomas Edison was told by his school teachers that he was too stupid to learn anything. Friends, it's not about how high you climb. It's about how high you bounce back when you hit the bottom. And you know what the Bible says in Proverbs? The righteous may fall 
seven times, but they will rise again. The Bible says that Jesus is the righteous one, and he bled from seven places. The crown of thorns on the head, the nail in each hand, the spear in the side, the scourge on the back, the cattle nine tails on the back, the nail through each foot. Jesus bled from seven places as the righteous one, but Proverbs predicted long before Jesus died that the righteous may fall seven times, but they will rise again. The greater the fall, the greater the rise. When the righteous one bled from seven places and fell for us, boy, did he rise, and Jesus rose so you could rise because failure is not final, nor is death fatal. We have a God who loves us to death, and his loving kindness is better than life, so we have abundant and everlasting life as we walk with, talk to, and follow him. As I draw to a close... We've studied actually a lot of the Bible in our session today. So I want to close with a story that will hopefully relate to some of you where you're at today. Like, how does all this work in our life? Okay, he's the God of hope who's my father. Great. And he always loves me. Awesome. But, 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 but. If God really loved me, why did, why did she break my heart, Ben? If he's the Abba and the God of hope, why did she break my heart? Maybe, guys, you went up to a girl and you're like, can I greet you with a holy kiss? <laughs> the Bible says I'm to give food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty, so how about dinner tonight? <laughs> the name's Will. God's will. I was reading the book of Numbers and I realized I don't have yours. <laughs> you and me, we're like loaves and fishes. We might just be a miracle together. Maybe she's like, put an egg in your shoe and beat it. You're like, why? Oh, see that history book that you have in your bag? Take a long, hard look at your textbook because I'm history. You're like, why? By the way, there was a lot of freebies for you guys. You can thank me later. But <laughs> when I was 19 years old, that happened to me. I didn't use all the pickup lines. Maybe if I did, it would have been a different story. But <laughs> I am. Um, I thought I fell in love with this girl, right? And she lived in a different state. I drove 12 hours, because I dated her on and off in high school, to tell her that I wanted to marry her. So I take her to a Mexican restaurant, and I say, I want to marry you. I know I was a bad boyfriend in high school, but I've changed. And she said, did you ask my dad? I said, yeah, I asked your dad. And he said, no, but I just said, why you got to be so rude? I'm going to marry her anyway. <laughs> I'm joking. I didn't say that last part. I did say... I want to marry you. She said, okay, well, let me, let me think about it. A few weeks passed, don't hear from her. A few months passed, don't hear from her. And then through the grapevine, I found out that she had married my best friend. Did somebody just say church to that? <laughs> That's not the appropriate response in that moment.
This was nine years ago, so I don't know if you guys remember these bands. Some of, some of you guys my age might. I was just listening to Screamo all the time. It was like Death Cab for Cutie, Dashboard Confessional, Under Oath. <laughs> if any of you remember those bands when you were a, a kid? I just have like the hair in my eyes. Draw the blinds. Ugh. And you should have heard my sermons then. They were so depressing. I, be, I gave my first Bible study in third grade and then became a pastor my senior year of high school. So I've been, I know I'm young now, but I've been actually doing this a really long time. And when I was 19 preaching sermons, you should have heard how despairing and depressing they were. And for a whole year, I was thinking, God, I, I'm, I think I'm going to be a monk in the woods. I honestly thought about living in the woods like a grizzly. Because I was just so heartbroken. I, was, I, I, I wanted to just depart from civilization and isolate myself. So for a whole year, I'm just devastated. I'm like, the Bible says that you heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds, that you are near to the crushed in spirit. But why, why, why did this happen to me? For a whole year, friends. It wasn't just like a little bleeding heart, lost romantic moment. It was like a whole year. I was like trying to drag myself out of bed because I was so heartbroken. And then, and then, and then, one Wednesday night, I walk into church. And I see this Mexican walk into church. I'm like, who is that? This Mexican has blonde hair and blue eyes, an exotic Hispanic mix. What is this? And I see this Mexican girl walk into the church, and I think, lo, my redemption draws nigh. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Her name was Nisha. There's the right response. <laughs> I stink and love your face. The Nishinator. I go up to her, and this is not a joke. Because she's Mexican, I went up to her and I said, Will you go with me to Taco Bell? And she did. Friends, miracles happen. If the band could come up at this time. So, on that note, God bless it. No. Um, so, we're at Taco Bell. And um, it was so funny. Hey, Pete, you can come up here, homie. Yeah, you can come up. Thanks, dog. So, <laughs> I love this because we're at Taco Bell. And come to find out, her mom... And my mother used to, 20 years earlier, pray together when me and Nisha were little babies that we would marry just the right person. I love the response of the girls right there. <laughs> and so what we did, it's actually pretty funny. It's on YouTube. We got married as a surprise wedding. And what happened is my dad was teaching through the book of Proverbs and he was at the passage where it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And he said, let's not be hearers of the word. Let's be doers. Let's have a wedding. So me and Nisha walked down to a Coldplay song that the band was playing live and not Coldplay themselves. That would have been awesome. But <laughs> we walked down and we get married after my dad's Bible study. My dad baptizes people. We go to Hawaii and we've been married for like almost eight years now. Now, here's the cool thing. Um, my dad and mom got married as a surprise wedding 20, 30 years earlier. 
And my dad just showed up to church in a tux and married my mom and nobody knew. Some people ask me, well, did your mom know? Was it a surprise to your mom? No, he wasn't just like, mm, I choose you. <laughs> and me and Nisha said, let's do that same thing. So the day she turned 18, I asked her to marry me. Now, it's been like nine years since my heartbreak. And I look back and I'm like, God, had that first relationship worked out, I, I am so glad that door closed. Some of you here are like, man, I want that relationship to work out so bad. But if it did, if it's not God's will, you're going to put the ring on it and you're going to say, this is the smallest handcuff in the world. But when you marry your proverbial nationator, now that I'm married to the niche, I'm like, Gollum, this is my precious. <laughs> when your plans don't work out, it's because God has better ones. Father knows best. And every exit in your life is an entry to somewhere else. God has called you to spiritual greatness. The Bible says you are seated in heavenly places. The Bible says what God puts together, let no man separate. Let God do the hooking up. Let God work out his plans. Let God cause you to develop from the negatives. Because he is a good, good father. That's who he is. And you're loved by him. You're a kid of the king. That's your identity. So you get to go through life shaking the tambourine before the Red Sea parts. You get to go through life dancing in defiance of the dark. You get to go through life as a game changer, as a world shaper, as a risk taker, as a history maker for the kingdom of God. You get to go through life not measuring the size of your mountain, but rather talking to the God who created it. You get to go through life not telling your God how big your mountain is, but telling your mountain how big your God is. You get to go through life resting and relaxing because you can sit back and relax because every setback is a setup for a comeback. And just because you go through hell doesn't mean you need to smell like smoke. You might be at your rope's end, but you are not at your hope's end. You might be knocked down, but you are not knocked out. You might lose the battle, but you ain't going to lose the campaign. Because if the God of hope is your daddy, and if the God of hope is for you, and if you're a kid of the king, and if the island curler is fighting your battles, then who dare stand against you? Let's worship the Lord together. <laughs>